0: In podcast number 20, I talked about Lean Six Sigma and wasted food and uh, a training that we did at the Port of Portland. So I want to play the audio for you on the section that I I went through. I don't have the audio that Kiel Van Z- Zone put together for the Lean, um, Lean section. So unfortunately, I only have about half of the presentation here. We'll try to get uh, the full Lean and Green workshop that he puts on as part of a future podcast. So this will be a little longer. It's about an hour, hour 15 minutes, but hopefully you'll see how I tied in um, Six Sigma with Wasted Food and gave some examples. There's a couple videos in here as well, but I hope the videos you can kind of follow along what's going, what's happening. And you can always go to the website in the podcast um, 22 section on the site. I will have the video posted so you can reference back to that as well hope you enjoy the lean activity as well. And so what it, we'll talk about at the end here is kind of how they work together. So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about six sigma side of this and then how they blend together and I think they fit very nicely. But from the cultural standpoint and the theory standpoint, lean has a much more holistic, sustainable mindset around that where sometimes six sigma gets looked at very much as a dollars and cents, how do we make profit at whatever expense to employees and to the environment. And so I like the more holistic approach Lean provides. But there's a lot of good tools from the Six Sigma side that can help solve some of these problems as well. So a little bit of history, we're gonna talk about the Domaic model, which is the foundation of improvement, and really about this data aspect of Six Sigma. So one of the real purposes of Six Sigma is to study the variation, and, and look at how do things fluctuate in a process because those end up causing defects, or mistakes, or errors, or problems with your customers, or the, the work that you're trying to do. And so if you look at the variation, and you eliminate that, and you eliminate mistakes, that saves a lot of time, and, and defects is one of those wastes that we'll get into. And the goal is to get to 3.4 defects per million opportunities, of, or a million times that you do a process, which basically means almost impossible. That's the goal. And so through data, you can actually evaluate, well, how often will this problem happen and, and, and shoot for these kind of long stretch goals. Now, people look at it and say, well, I don't really do that task a million times. But when you start to break down into individual process details of, um, you know, if it's food prep, you know, cutting sandwiches, how many times does that happen in a day? How well do you do that process? You start realizing, actually, I do that process quite a bit across the number of people, could be thousands of times a day over a year, there is millions of cutting, and millions of times that we place lettuce on the sandwich, and millions of times of, of doing these different tasks. So it does actually add up when you get down to the fundamental core task that is being done. But it's really just more of a theory that says, we're trying to minimize the mistakes as much as possible. So this came out of Motorola, which packaged up over the decades of these tools, and these tools of Lean and Six Sigma have been around since early 1900s, but they've just been packaged up differently and applied differently, and so that was the same way. Motorola took these and packaged them up into a methodology that says, how do we tie this to the bottom line and the finances of the company, and provide some methodology, instead of just having, here's 100 tools of improvement, package them up into a more concise uh, um, structure so that it makes sense. And people can follow it and not just have to guess at what to do next so they have this belt system that is um, modeled right after the martial arts program they have green belts and black belts and master black belts and that's basically just taken directly from martial arts and then ge took this and kind of took it to another level in the early to mid 1990s where all the executives had to go through some level of six sigma training and that really got into the idea that if the leadership doesn't understand these improvement tools, how do you expect that the individual employees and the workers are gonna get it too? So that was really a driving culture, and they put in place a, a, a rule that says you will not get promoted unless you've gone through at least the Greenbelt program. And then it started spreading outside of manufacturing, late 90s, 2000s, and then there's applications of it now in, in city government and film industry and um, law offices and things like that. So again, the concepts, once you can get out of this manufacturing mindset, you can see the applicability it outside there. So this is the model that gets uh, put together. It's called DMAIC. Stands for Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve, and Control. Some of you might be familiar with uh, Plan, Do, Check, Act, or Plan, Do, Study, Act type of format. It's very similar to that. I like it because I can think about what I'm supposed to do at each of those phases. So, we'll talk about. Um, so, in Define, basically, we're going in and trying to figure out what is the exact problem we're trying to resolve here, and can I put a number to it? And what's the history tell us about this problem? And really get everyone clear about are we all thinking about this problem exactly the same way? Because I'm sure you've run into this situation where you start talking about an issue and you find out we have. We're all talking about four different problems, but it's not exactly the same thing. So we all need to get on the same page of, this is a problem, and we all agree that it's a problem. <laughs> Sometimes we kind of gloss over that. The measure thing was really the, the big takeaway when I started learning about Six Sigma was, you cannot assume that the data you have is good. You have to validate that the data you're gonna start analyzing actually was collected in, in is um, validated before you start doing something with it. And a lot of the projects I've worked on, um, the data was wrong. And so we thought there was a problem and there really was not a problem. And other times, we thought there was a problem and it was worse than we thought it was. And it's because the way in which data is collected has many opportunities to be done incorrectly. And so there's studies and, and analyses to prove out whether you can collect and organize and get your data in a usable format. And if that's broke, if you have bad data going in, you're never gonna resolve that problem correctly. And so taking time to make sure you have good data is a really key step. Then Analyze gets into some statistics and gets into the data and and making charts and graphs and understanding when this happens, what happens over here? Is there a relationship to um, the weather? Does that affect our our food waste? Is it the um, day of the week? Does that have an impact on how much food gets donated? all those trying to draw connections and correlations together that's a lot of statistics come into play then in the improve phase we actually go and make improvements and then we actually look at the data to see did it work instead of saying well we did all this work i hope it worked out we actually have to go and actually collect the data before and after and if it didn't work then we need to try something else so we can't stop until we actually see some tangible results and that sometimes gets left out as yeah, we did all this work and we hope that it actually made a difference, but we never go back and confirm that. So that's really part of the structure there. And then the other thing that kind of gets left off is if I walk away or someone in the group that was working on this project walks away, will this continue or will this completely fall apart? And so what are the controls that I'm putting into the system, into the process, that's gonna maintain this over a long period of time? So usually we say this has to maintain itself for 12 months and we track our results for at least 12 months to make sure that it's not just the flavor of the day and everyone's excited about that problem. And it got better, and then six months from now things start to degrade back to where it was. Then we really didn't put in the right controls there. So that's the that's the model that um, that we follow here. So when we talk about data, here are some things that I was thinking about that might be gaps in how we can attack wasted food. Do we look at the food waste? and um like when people go and get to go containers do we do the restaurants and the and the food places do they look at what's being put in the to go containers and why are people not eating the full amount of the food there is it because they got way more food than they thought they were getting Um, is it because the food they got isn't what they wanted What's going into the waste stream? We talked, you, know, you guys done, done a lot of stuff with waste audits to try to understand what gets thrown away, but are we looking at um, making that connection back to the menu and back to server training to say, you know, this is a really large portion. Are you sure you want that large entree? Um, you know, just trying to connect the dots between what the data says and how we change our processes to impact that, and really trying to make that next. Do we know if the orders are correct? So people leave, do do the restaurants stop and say, hey, did we get the order correct? And and I think the normal uh, mode of operandi is, if no one complains, then we must have done it right. But how many of you have, have had an experience where you didn't get what you wanted, but you didn't complain about it either? Anyone? Yeah, so that happens quite a bit. And so if you don't understand that there's errors and mistakes and defects that are happening, again, you're not seeing the waste. Maybe you're afraid to ask. So from a standpoint here, we have to get our hands around that and say, are people getting what they actually want? And maybe that's why they're, they're wasting the food is because they didn't get the order they wanted. Um, or what I see a lot is, my own personal experience, is I'm getting more than I thought I was getting. So it came with extra toppings and extra garnishes and extra things that I really didn't think I was getting. So really just trying to understand the, um, the data behind that. And, and I, I'm assuming that that's gonna be something that's probably not readily available or collected very well. So there are some opportunities there. And like I said, a lot of people don't complain. So how can we get our, our voice of the customer understood a little bit better? Also looking at the cost of the items, how much does it cost for garnishes? How much does lemons in the water cost? How much do the condiments cost? How do we quantify that information, give it to the workers so that they understand? And maybe it's, it's gonna lead to um, this, this concept on, on the lean side is are they willing to pay for it? They're already paying for it. And so, but there, we're just providing some of these things for people automatically. But maybe if we took an extra five seconds and asked, do you want this, do you want that, do you want this? Um, up front, that five or ten extra seconds could save a lot of food on the back end of things that they didn't realize they were getting with their item. And so, again, how do we get our hands on some of this data that will help us solve that problem? If we don't have good numbers, it's it's much more difficult to solve some of these problems. So step one would be, do we have the right data to go forward and, and actually address this? So this is an example I found where there was a a case study at Rose Holman um, Institute of Technology. They went through a project. They were trying to reduce their carbon footprint. They identified the cafeteria food waste. And they looked at that there's a big problem of an average of 4.78 ounces per meal. Some of you guys might have better numbers on some of these things, but they were looking at how do we reduce the amount of wasted food in the cafeteria for the students. And so trying to get that number below some average. So that's how they defined the problem of step one of the demand model. In the measure phase, if they're going to weigh the food, they better make sure they can weigh it correctly and consistently. If they have three different people weighing it and they're all weighing it differently, that's adding noise into the data and mudding it up. And it's gonna make it harder to understand what's going on when you can't collect the data correctly. And so there's a study called the Gauge R&R where you actually go and you have people take an item and weigh it. And then you turn around a little time later and you give them that exact same item and have them weigh it again. And then you take that item and you give it to somebody else and say, you weigh this a couple times. And in a perfect world, everybody get the same answer. But what usually happens is, not everybody gets the same answer every time. And so you find weaknesses in your measurement process and you correct those before you start collecting up a bunch of data that's flawed or skewed or, or incorrect. and So there's, it's basically a little experiment that you set up and run. So this would be a good example because you can see that they were weighing different size bags. So they have two people, the colors represent two different people, and then these are the different types of, of items that they weighed. And then you can see the results are almost identical to each other. So that's a good result. Other results is you'll see that these are like offset or they're spread apart or they're shifted in some way. And it usually comes down to the process of taking the measurements is not clear or well-documented. And so we have to, we gotta correct those things first before you can actually make improvements. And then you get into fancy statistics and graphs, and we're not gonna go through all this today, but um, basically trying to understand what does the data tell us and how do we use that information to go forward, either to baseline where we're at or to help us understand that there's trends or patterns in the data that might help give us some insight so what's happening, and so that's where all the statistics background comes into play. So this is a video that um, how they were collecting the data for. Yeah, can you pull that up? This is how the students were uh, recording the data for the wasted food coming off of the cafeteria trays. Not really any audio to this. They try to grab the trade before they get put out, put away. And at least they had one person doing the measurements. They had multiple people that, that opens up other opportunities and pro- potential problems. Trying to categorize everything correctly. At point, they they get a certain size bag, and then they're putting it on a scale and recording the measurements. So it could be even like the technique of putting it in the bag and shaking it and setting it right that can cause measurement variation and throw off your results somewhat.
1: Okay,
0: so just give me an idea that that often gets assumed that well, I've got some electronic data that must be good and especially working in a complex aerospace manufacturer, um, there are so many, much opportunity to for the data to come in and, and cause issues. And so that's the first thing I have to make sure is, is correct. So then they go through some of these tools, they do some simple tools that probably you've seen before, like fishbone diagrams and five Ys and some of those basic tools. There's some other things that are prior to, prior to prioritization matrices where we try to do some kind of ranking of What factors do we think are driving some of the the fluctuation in the results? Um, Some failure mode and effects analysis. How can the process fail? And are there ways we can put in controls or change it up so it doesn't happen? Um, And then the statistical analysis I talked about. So the team had come up with some recommendations based on the things that they could control and looking at the time frame. So you're kind of giving the team some kind of goals to say we'd like to get this done in a three to six month time period. Now I'm not, I wasn't on this project or anything like that but um, so I'm trying to summarize what I learned from going through the articles here. So this would be a fishbone diagram. It's really a brainstorm exercise to organize your thoughts and this is around the waste of food and then looking at the you know how to drink and, and uh, machine. So this would be machine is broken What is the impact of those issues? How do the servers have an influence? How does the ice machine have an influence? How about the food going bad or the ice cream? You start to categorize and get all everybody's thoughts together in, in, in an organized manner. And then from there, you start to see, boy, we have a lot of stuff in this category. We have a lot of things under the bad food. Maybe that's an area we should be looking into a little more closely. But it's also a good standpoint to bring in ideas and everybody's input into the process. It's not just you know a couple people sitting together, but really going out and getting everyone to, to provide input. And then the data, before and after. So we can actually look, here is where we were before, and here we were afterwards. And here's the improvement that was made. And you can even run statistics, to say yeah, that's a statistical improvement or not. And so having that information reaffirms that, yes, what was done, not only sounded like a good idea, but it actually worked. And then quantifying the results. And that's a really big thing around Six Sigma, Six, Six Sigma is to quantify the, the, the numeric savings and try to put it in terms of financial savings. And the whole goal with that is to help sell the, um, the improvements by turning, bring it back to the business talk, which a lot of cases is, is money. So, turning all the improvement back into dollars. So, they were saying an uh, average of about $12, $12,000 a month. Maybe that a year. But um, trying to quantify that in terms of savings and dollars. And that takes extra time to do, but that's the selling point to, to go after more improvements is to say, here's what we did in our last project, and this is what the benefits were. So, let's try something else in this other area where we're having cost issues or we're having. Um, problems that we want to try to resolve. So it's really trying to bring a lot more structure and data to some of the improvement activity. So that's why I think it's a great complement to a lot of the lean activities as well. And then the controls piece, um, this one they had uh, made recommendations and I'm going to go through and talk a little bit of, on a waste audit and how to apply Six Sigma the Demeg model to that to kind of enhance that. But um, so here they had Provided a list of recommendations. Probably if they were doing this uh, a little bit stronger project, they would have implemented those and embedded those into the process so that it's not just a list of recommendations, but actually something um, rolled out and in place, and then having a training program for new employees who worked in the cafeteria, signage, and all those things that would make it sustain itself. So I think there are some gaps even on this case study that um, could be enhanced. So I found this um, data that I thought was pretty, pretty good in terms of looking at wasted food. And this is for household, but I would imagine it's fairly similar, and maybe you guys have some better data to, to plug in here. But it talks about the type of, of waste, edible, non-edible, and then preventable.
1: <laughs>
0: and then down here, it's got the, uh, not used in time, prepared or served too much. We've talked about that a lot and then that other category. And so when I looked at this preventable piece and then looked at some of these causes, that immediately says that the Lean and Six Sigma approach would definitely try to address some of those things. It's around the process and prevention of the waste in the first place. And we've already touched on that today. So that's why I think that would be a good topic to, um, to complement or supplement the other activity going on, on on wasted food. So here are the Tim Woods. Uh, waste again you have that as a handout in your slide and what i'd like to do is go through a video and have you guys try to identify the waste in the process one of the things we talk about is how do you see the waste and see the opportunity and that takes practice it's not something that's obvious to you right away so let 's talk a little bit about these wastes and then we 'll go into the video so we talked about transportation briefly so we've got a, a definitions here but basically it's things moving around that in itself does not add any value so um, and these all have environmental impacts too so you know applying lean to environmental issues is my passion and so I when I'm looking at these waste that's immediately what I'm thinking of it's all the environmental impact that goes along with that waste the fuel and the packaging that is required to move things around and if we can get rid of the transportation, we don't have to do used fuel we don't have to package things up. But from a wasted food perspective, that's buying food from far away. You know, can we find a, a closer source? And all that time and travel is there's no value for being provided there.
1: Yeah?
2: That's actually kind of a myth we're finding. Okay. So most of the impacts are actually due to production uh, on a life cycle basis. The life cycle. transportations yep. Transportation is like six to eight percent for any food category.
0: Um, but it would still be more impact to get it from mm-hmm. the Midwest so, yeah, from local, yeah.
2: Benefit. But sometimes the local food's actually way more carbon intensive, so it's just a little more complicated. On the,
0: um, but, but the pure transportation would be? is
1: tiny compared sure, to sure. production.
0: Okay, so. but it does have a, um, but being further away will most likely be more transportation and, and specifically to transportation. Talking about closer would should be uh, better in terms of
2: uh, just transportation, but all I'm saying yes. if it comes to food. If when you talk about the big picture, I see what you tend to minimize your potential for environmental benefit. Yeah. Okay. It's a very common misperception.
0: Sure. Yep. Okay. So uh, and then food delivery as well. So looking at um, how far are people, you know, going to deliver food, can you order from somewhere closer? Uh, inventory itself, so like I said, inventory requires space to heat, cool, and light. That has an environmental impact. And then we talked about the desserts, bringing them out. And then uh, buying in bulk, we talked about that as well. That you might save time up front, but now you've risked all that going bad. And you probably have to package it and protect it in a certain way, put it in the refrigerator, and that has to be cooled, or put it in the freezer, and that has to be cooled. So there's other costs that go along with inventory. I think I also,
3: One I talk about a lot is uh, Costco toilet paper. So um, that's like the number one selling product of Costco worldwide. And it's massive amount of batching of paper, right? And people will buy it for their homes and then not have to buy toilet paper for another three, four, five, six months, depending how big your family is. But if you think about all that toilet paper, that actually means we cut down trees way ahead of time before we need it. Like, and how many trees does that represent? And if you think about all the paper that we store before using it, and how much we store, and we put that back, like what kind of size forest are we talking about that could actually still be standing right now, and it's not? And if you start thinking about like things, like I did a example slide of oil, like oil reserves in the U. S. How much we sit on, and what that represents, and how much oil we've taken out of the ground, it's just sat there always at any given time. So that, that's a big way we can save and lean from an environmental perspective as well.
0: Motion, so when we get into motion, we're really talking about the work and the inefficiency and the movement at your workstation and at your desk. Is, do I am I reaching for things frequently? Can I bring it closer to my desk area? Um, and, and so from a wasted food perspective, um, Um, We're not rotating or organizing the food properly and so things get stuck in the back or get lost or pushed away Or it's out of reach or it's inconvenient to have to go um, uh, Put things back properly in a timely manner because it's just inconvenient so we don't do some of the tasks that might prevent the waste Um, uh, Labels stored too far away. I think there didn't you have an example like a Something stored away and so people didn't want to do that at your restaurant?
2: Oh yeah. When they have to when they open a product they have to label it. And if the labels aren't close by or in an inconvenient spot, they're less likely to label it because their servers are in a hurry. So so a lot of times they're like, no one's looking and they just put it back. And then we at the end when we're checking all the product we don't know when exactly it was oh. opened, so we have to throw it away we just can't guess.
0: So that's a perfect example of not thinking about the waste of motion and and, um, setting people up for success around that and by making things convenient and easy at the the point where they need it, not having labels on the other side of the room where they're traveling around and less likely to do that. Uh, Waiting would be just waiting for things to happen. That waiting is a delay. And when things are waiting, time is an essence, and especially with food. Um, the longer it sits, the, less, the more risk there is, so any delays can be a, a problem. Uh, so things cooked out of order, where maybe they're waiting, and so um, I know most restaurants try to time things up at the same time, but if it gets ahead of time, and it just sits there and they try to batch and deliver everything all at once, can they go to smaller batches where they deliver as it's done and get people to start eating, and then instead of everything coming out at once, you can't eat it all at once, you could only eat it one at a time, so uh, how do you start to match up the customer's actual eating habits with the delivery of the food? And maybe that timing could reduce some waste down. Uh, and they're just uh, obviously waiting for food to be delivered. And so when we start talking about Kanban is, how do you get a system so that you have maybe one dish almost ready to go, and then when that one gets used up and delivered quickly, you are starting another one to put it in its place. And so you, you, you can actually cut down the total time that the customer sees because you're kind of getting ready for the next order to come through instead of starting from scratch each time. Overprocessing processing we'll would be doing things over and above what is needed to do the job or what the customer actually needs. So if, I need, if I'm making burgers and I'm flipping them too often, then that could cause a problem. Maybe it, it ruins the quality of the food. Uh, and that's it's extra it's extra time and so when we see those we try to cut those out we're checking the oven too too often
3: um,
0: or saying yeah but I don't think it looks right and so I'm gonna make a decision even though it's acceptable I don't like what it looks so I'm gonna throw it away or, or let it go it expire um, or putting on too much salt there's too much spice you know so they said I want to catch up on this and you douse it in ketchup and they said oh this doesn't taste as good so I don't want to eat the rest it. So that's the over-processing. So it's what they wanted, but it's way more than they needed.
3: One thing that's really important here is like finding your internal versus your external standards. Like, you know, trying to figure out what the customer really wants, and also what's our internal standards. Because sometimes what the customer wants, like uh, McDonald's customers, is not necessarily what the food car here wants to provide. You know, they have internal standards that are much higher than McDonald's. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that you should just be like always shooting for the moon. You should have some kind of internal standard and how long things should take, because otherwise you're spending way too much time. Like, If if a burger needs to be flipped three times, but the new person who's on board is doing it six times, because that's how he likes it, then you're over-processing. So defining those standards is really key to getting this this waste kind of tied up.
0: So that's a common thing that will happen is, but everybody does it differently, and they all like their own personal preference. Great, let's get together, let's figure out what is the best approach that everyone can agree on, and the things we can't agree on, Let's experiment. You try it this way, you try it this way, and we'll see what comes out what comes out best. And put it up to a competition, or put it into an experiment, and let's try it out. And then if we all agree that we're gonna go with the best solution based on the results of the data, then it's a lot easier for people to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'll am going i follow this new process. A lot of times it's just, people say, you need to do it this way, and we don't really care what you think. Make it open and say, this is the best prox- process we have to do this today, <laughs> but it's open to new improvements. And if you have a better idea, we'll try it out and see if it's better. But if it's not, we're not gonna change it. So it's it's the best we know of today. It's not a rigid thing that says, you have to do it this way, no exceptions. It's the best we know of today. But if you have something better, bring it forward and we'll try it out. That's, that's a, a way to make it not seem so restrictive and so robotic, which is sometimes what people think about when they think of leak. And then overproduction, putting on extra toppings that aren't requested, making more than you need, especially like in buffet lines, it's a common problem. Um, What was the thing you said too on the buffet lines with uh, you have to have enough out there, more than what you think would be consumed? Yeah, you have
2: to make it look full for most
1: places.
0: So even if you think it's towards the end and it's not gonna get consumed, the goal is to have it look full, there's stuff out there, okay, so. Those types of things would be an example overproduction It says, you know, it's five more minutes of the buffet line and we need to, we really need to put out a full tray to make it look like that. Uh, people grab handfuls of ketchup packets and that might think that that might cut down the waste but then if they're um, grabbing more than they need, that would be overproduction. And the defects, we talked about that, dropping food, making the wrong order, either someone entered it wrong or they got the right order and they They cooked it wrong um, or overcooked it or they didn't know there was food allergies involved so again kind of having extra things in there that weren't needed or weren't expected so those would be defects and errors and then the last S would be for wasted uh, I'm sorry for skills so this one really gets into the people side of it to say are we putting people in the right spot to maximize their skills and then are we Taking advantage of their brains, or are we just having people there to use their hands and do the job and be quiet? If we're not asking for their ideas uh, and then putting them in the the best place to be successful, then we're not utilizing their potential or their full skill set. And that's a waste, too. If you have smart people with great ideas and you're not asking for their input, that's a waste. So, not asking people who do the work what are the ways we can reduce the waste? What do you need? be able to do this easier. What could we provide for you to make that job easier or simpler, or what are the things you're observing with the customers or
3: back at um, preparing the food? In general, has some people who are really open to having other people tell them how to cook that food, so it should be pretty easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that, that is hard, because uh, a lot of people don't like to hear, you know, suggestions, or fear that they're doing something wrong or something, so there is a, uh, um, a way to approach things in a more favorable manner. So this is a graphic too I found that they describe, uh, this is Paul Akers, he works up in um, Bellingham, Washington. He runs a business and he's uh, put a lot of videos out there and so we'll have links to that as well, but um, he talks about the eight ways in terms of a fast food restaurant. So I think that's, is that in your hand notes here? Mm-hmm. Again, that no, one, yeah. So I thought that was a really good way to kind of summarize those ways. All right, so let's, um, I got one video and then i got the actual video so this one is called lean burrito this is paul paul acres and he talks about uh little things he notices i'm getting uh, to
4: go burrito. these find ways this is my in an attempt to always find ways this is my burrito that i need now they asked me when i bought it if i wanted sour cream and hot sauce and i said yes so instead of putting it in the burrito They gave it to me in a separate container. I have an idea. Next time, put the sour cream and the hot sauce in the burrito. Okay, I just finished my burrito, and this is all the waste. We have the aluminum foil that's going to be thrown out. The paper that's going to be thrown out. The container from the salsa and the sour cream. We have two napkins, one I didn't use, and a whole little box here with a plastic fork and a plastic knife. All going to be put in the landfill. For one burrito. All I really needed was the aluminum foil to wrap it in, and that was it. Sour cream, everything could have been inside, and one napkin. I would have made less of a mess, and I would have been perfect. Look at all the waste. Check out this waste. We did a spreadsheet. Four cents for the carton. The knife and fork, six cents. Everything added up to 31 cents of waste per burrito. 30 burritos a day, $9.30, times seven days a week, 52 weeks, $3,385 per store. If you take 31 cents a burrito, times 10 million burritos a day in the US alone, that's $3.1 million in the landfill. That's total waste. <gasps> Okay, I'm back at the local coffee shop, Curb Shops, and we're going to get ourselves a lean burrito. Watch how this is done. Hi, Gina, how are you?
1: Good, how are you? Can I
4: get a lean burrito? Sure. I want a burrito with sour cream, hot sauce inside, aluminum foil, and nothing else in one napkin. Sounds good. Okay. okay, thanks, Gina. Here it comes, the lean burrito. What do we got? Aluminum foil, one napkin. Wow, that's amazing. Look at all the waste we eliminated. With the sour cream and everything inside. Isn't this yummy? Look at this thing. All ready to go, just the way I wanted it, just what the customer wanted, and no more and no less. Wow. Well, I hope you enjoy the lean burrito video. It's a quick little video to show you that waste is everywhere we look in everything we do. And if you're a lean thinker, you're constantly finding the waste and finding ways to... eliminate quite good. <laughs> I guess yeah, I on
0: bathroom. Um. We this on there? Yeah. All right. So you have your sheet there. We talked about the different types of waste. Don't worry about like, is this overprocessing or is this motion? Just document the observations of things you see. And so we're going to watch, watching but video. The video I saw that kind of goes through the whole process of making pizza. What you see if you see any of the waste identified. There. My name is Dawson Gibbs and I'm going to show you how to make a Papa John's pizza for when you get hungry. What you need is air, a
4: dustinator, a chalker, and a large dough. to keep it here. What you want to do is get a large dough out, coat it in the dustinator, get it down, interlock your fingers so you can get a nice edge, and slowly go through your fingers. Just like this, about once or twice, so you can get a good edge going. And then, once you're done with that, flip your dough over, hold it with a little bit of dustinator, and stretch it until it's about 75% of its original size. And then, once you stretch it out, get you your at pizza so it's nice around. Once it's done, put your thumbs in, almost, and slap it out. What you want to do is fit it to a large screen.
1: Once it's fitted to the screen, you want to get about a cup of sauce so that goes on a large
4: dough. Slowly sauce it. What you want to do make sure your sauce is evenly distributed on the pizza. Once it is, make sure it's everywhere. And then once you get done, you want to put your toppings on it. You want to get about a handful of your toppings. Make sure it's all over your pizza. And if you want to balance it out, make sure it's Same thing. Mixer is all over the
0: What did you see? What were some of the wastes you identified?
2: Like growing
1: cheese.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was so I'd say sure. that's yeah, either overproduction of the cheese or defects because he's missing the pizza, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of inventory. Where'd you see the inventory? For the uh, you know the veggies, the meat, the cheese, and they just had bins and bins. A of a huge less. bin of cheese. Yep. Yeah. What else did you say? The the veggies, the, the toppings. Veggies, the meat, the cheese. Okay. I mean, there's clearly a lot of that and it was all just going all over the place, because they had too much and they weren't using it very efficiently. What were the other what's the other inventory that you installed? There's a
2: lot of dough yeah. prepared on the pizza plates. Yeah. What do you call
1: that flour stuff? Yeah, <laughs> it's dustinated. It <laughs> <care. laughs>
0: yeah, that was all over the place on the floor on the yeah, mess. Yeah.
3: There also seems to be a, a complete failure in management oversight. Okay. <laughs>
0: there's clearly you know, lots of materials and measurements for and all of the stuff know. to be done,
3: and nobody's paying attention to
1: yeah. it. a handful of
3: those, half a handful. Which is more he's actually, than figuring of the. <laughs> <room>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His understanding of a couple
1: pieces. Yeah. So there's a defect there. Yeah. Okay. Proper training, maybe. A lot what of
0: else? dropping
1: of food,
2: of the meats and everything. A lot of dropping off to the side. Yeah, they
0: have a whole great system underneath to catch all that. And, I mean, yeah. they're not using that again, so that's all going to waste.
2: And the whole, all the buckets, there was waste all around those as well.
0: Probably contamination, going too fast. Yeah, yep.
2: When he first started, I mean, he was bending down yeah. behind him to pick up the dough.
0: To carry it over carried to over Yeah, why wouldn't it be right next to him and someone else feeding that to them and, and minimizing that yeah. There's
2: time like mental energy wasted in terms of like having to decide how many toppings to put on or if it was like pre-mixed yeah though I don't know if what that you know that's other labor beforehand Mm -hmm. but if he just had one bucket that was like here's a super meat pizza which is I guess what that seems to be just
0: (laughs) put all that on at once so actually a lot of stuff we'll do is move all the prep work out so that there's very little, so you can actually see the value, and so they're going through and it's not, I'm gonna weigh out and, and measure this out, it's already done ahead of time. So you're moving it to another resource, and then you can see that all their time is waste, and all the time of the workers is value added. That exposes the inefficiencies, and then you say, how do I make that wasted time less? Um, so that is actually a, a technique to try to shift all that work outside of the flow of the process, so, um, that you can expose that waste. Otherwise, it's built into every process that waste is inherent in there. Yeah. The oven's always on and the conveyor belt is always spinning. That's true, Yep. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's automatically running, automatically heated up, pumping out, and if there's not a pizza in there, it's still cooking something, air. Yeah. At the beginning, we saw all the pre-folded
2: pizza boxes
0: on yep. the camera. So somebody spent minutes or hours putting those together in anticipation of those, but maybe they should have been helping prep when they were making boxes, um, or yeah, I've seen uh, gone to some places where they make a lot of boxes ahead of time, and they're stacked to the to the ceiling. They're taking up all the space. You came and see the people who work there because it's covered in boxes. I'm like, how many boxes are you going to go through in the next three hours? You know, wait till a downtime, and there's a line of people behind you. Like the balance of, of labor isn't quite right for the demand of your customers. So yeah, the the transportation. And This is pretty efficient. I mean this was not as bad as what I've seen a lot of processes I've at. But there's a huge amount of, that's all dough, prepped ready to go. Um, The motion of reaching down, they're doing that, how many pizzas they make and reaching down, that's you know problems with um, people getting injured and hurt, Um, the waiting for the pizza to cook, the over processing, Uh, how many times do I run that little device through there, is it 10, 12, 15? Let's come up with a standard and say, do it eight times and stop. You don't need to do it 12 times or how long you think it is. There is all that, those crusts built up ahead of time. What if they don't go through all those rest of the day? What happens to that? And then defects and missing it there. We can't really evaluate the skills part of it, but we can kind of guess at some of the environmental things you guys brought up. Is it missing it and things falling on the floor or maybe something gets dropped? There's environmental impact there, the energy used. So each of these processes and wastes have an environmental impact too. Yeah.
2: Can, I, can I ask about the waiting? I'm a little confused about that because pizza does need to be cooked, so I'm not yep. sure exactly where process could improve in that. I mean, we did talk about the oven, but that's yep. one that one doesn't yep. quite make sense
0: to me. So um, only for this part of it was that waiting, and maybe you, it's still waiting. It just means it may not have a solution for that, but that would help if they had a way of. Cooking it faster, or can, you know, changing up the equipment somehow—that could be an opportunity. Doesn't mean that necessarily there's a solution there, but you still want to say this is an op- a waste, and it's something we want to consider and think about in a way in a short time.
3: Give a good example of that with a client of mine where they were kind uh, Grove made. They make these like iPhone cases that have wood here, And uh, they used to just, because they had a 24 hour drying period for their glues, once they glued it together, they had a massive amount of inventory between the step before drying and the step after drying. And when I started working with them, I challenged them first of all, how long does it take? And when I started asking people, it was like, well, you know, 24 hours, well, actually it only takes eight hours, if it's a warm day, blah, blah, and it was a huge difference there. So we kind of nailed it down to what it was, and then we built that inventory according to how much they needed based on that time. And then I was like, well, maybe you can put plastic around and put a little fan there and a the heater and blah, blah, blah. And they kind of played with that. And they started tweaking it. And then a year later, I came in and the racks were gone, totally gone. Like, where's your inventory? He's like, oh, we came up with a way to, like, dry it in 20 minutes. Like, how? And he's like, here we go. And they pulled out a cooler. And the cooler, they cut a hole in the side and put a little fan in there. And inside the cooler was a light bulb. And that would dry in 20 minutes. <laughs> That's it. They went for 24 hours of inventory to in 20 minutes. And it was like about five or six of them in there, and that was enough to kind of get through. It could be the so, like
0: pre-cooking of the crust, you know, there could yeah. be different... It's not always true solution, yeah.
3: but it's like, can't do it, but we can't do it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, another waste as well that kind of gets into just-in-time thinking a little bit, and, and really nerding out on it, is when he, he picked up like a whole bunch of pepperoni in one hand, and he was putting them on one by one like that. He could have just done, used two hands and put them on one by one, he probably would have done faster. The first thing is just identify the waste and then
0: decide, is this something we can address or take care of? And then some of the stuff, probably the bigger waste, like a waiting would be, how long did it take from when the customer ordered to when the ticket was put punched in to when they got the ticket to when it actually got boxed up and actually handed to the customer. There's lots of other weights in between there that probably would be the first thing I'd start with. And then later come back and say, is there something we can do with the oven time itself? But at least it's saying, it's a waste. Is there an opportunity? Maybe not today, but keep it on our back of our minds. So does that make sense? Is it... So but that, this takes practice, and this is something you kind of develop over time. You start looking at this, and you start seeing the waste, and then things like, now I can't not see the waste. And it's kind of a curse, too, because <laughs> you can't go anywhere now, and I'm sure Kiel has said the same thing. I'm sure you've had the same experiences, too. Once you see that, then it's like, I can't believe I'm standing in this bank line, and why, why aren't there more tellers out right now? And you know, it just you nuts. <laughs> Luckily, the airport here is pretty good. So, as other airports I go to, it's a lot, a lot worse with the waiting and how security lines are set up. So, I want to just kind of go through like a waste audit that you guys are pretty familiar with and where I would insert some Six Sigma activity into that. So, I thought uh, Lisa gave me this report of a waste sort mm-hmm. report from March 2016. And um, really, just trying to define out what is the problem statement is a key step. Um, they're losing money from the wasted food, uh, Have environmental impact that's going into the into the trash. It's uh, a methane issue. Um, and then there's a donated food that's not getting addressed in the community. And so, scoping the problem, coming up, who's the champion? And the report, uh, it wasn't clear if there was a restaurant who was uh, supporting the waste audit, if they were bought in and championing this effort. And sometimes we, we get hung up here because we don't have a sponsor or a champion who's going to own the problem, and that delays it. But if you don't do it, what happens is uh, nobody really owns it, and so you make the great recommendations and they don't get—they don't get implemented. So really, doing this upfront change management piece that says, "Do I have the right buy-in from the people who actually would actually do something with the improvements, or, or make sure it's successful?" Um, and I'm not trying to uh, poke holes or anything in like this. I'm just kind of showing where. Uh, some of the techniques from the demand model would be inserted in here. The other thing was, how do we get the, in, the workers involved in the waste audit so that they take the ownership, they see the waste, they feel the experience of it, um, instead of just seeing the report at the back end. And maybe they were involved, so again, I'm just kinda looking at this report. Um, the, the, the measure was really trying to quantify, what are we trying to accomplish? Well, I think it's take this food waste and reduce that down. First of all, get out of the the landfill, and then secondly, try to reduce it down. So the end result is to lower the total amount of food that is wasted. So trying to come up with a numeric way to quantify that. And then, and this is just ideas of how you would possibly collect the type of data. Um, Looking for waste in the preparation, cooking, and assembly process at the restaurant. Um, Getting into what type of food is being thrown away, which process area did it come from, Um, What was the menu item that went along with that? Collecting the data by the day or by the hour to see if there's trends in in the time of day or the day of the week. Um, And then validating the data collection methods with the weights and categorization. So another way to look at it is, am I categorizing the data correctly? That's something we have to assess because I'm making a lot of decisions on how I'm grouping things or what I'm calling things. And so there needs to be uh, consistency around how that's done. And then um, try to educate the employees on the problem and get their inputs on the solution. We can do some trend analysis to look at the the, uh, the the day of the week and look for patterns in the percent of wasted food. Are there spikes? Are there trends or shifts in the data? So that's some of the statistical stuff we could do. Um, this was actually in the report of what could be donated and what needs more detail, uh, 82%. Uh not, not sure, and 18% could definitely be donated. So there might be some more. Uh, so some of the things you could do is break out the data by the day of the week and say, and this is the percent of wasted food, does that fluctuate by the day of the week? And do some graphical pictures to look at it and say, no, not really, I don't really see a pattern there. However, when I look at how many workers are working that day, all of a sudden, I start to see a different pattern forming. Why is it when we have more people, our food waste goes down? And so, what is this telling us about our problem? Is this giving us some insight into that problem that we didn't have already? And so it's taking that data and trying to match up with process data of how many people were there, how many customers did we have, what was the day of the week, the time of day, and seeing, does anything stand out and give us some insight? So this might have to do with staffing, and what about having only three people? Increases the percent of wasted food. Is it that they're hurrying and, and not following the processes? The processes are unclear. Um, things are running out. You know who knows what it is, but at least starts to get you down that path. Maybe if you get a little bit more detailed data, you can start to figuring out what is the causes of these of these items. Is it that there was a wrong order? Is it that the um, food expired? Is it that they didn't like the customer didn't like the appearance of it? Uh, It was overcooked or dropped, you know, just trying to break down a little bit more detail of what's going on. So this might be process data that the restaurant would start to collect. And then doing some brainstorming with the team, digging to the root cause of the problem. So not only this, yeah, this got thrown away, but what's the root cause? What's the process breakdown, like Kel talked about? Uh, It's a bad process, not bad people. So what happened in the process to cause that? And then there's some statistical tools to get into correlating process metrics with the outcomes and seeing do I see a relationship there? And improvements might be, all right, we saw that there's a weekend effect maybe, that on the weekends that that percentage goes up. So what do we need to do to address that problem? Maybe it's changing up the way the work's done make it simpler, or make sure we don't have shortages on the weekend with the staff. And if things are getting expired, that's a big uh, cause of the problem then. How do we do uh, some kind of Kanban system so we don't consume or buy too much in advance and then things go expired, so we match it up to the actual customer usage? How do we color code and label things and use visual controls so that we know that things are are close to being expired, we can use those first? Uh, Make sure we review our standards for handling and storing food. I'm just kind of making up these things as part of the project. uh, And then when we roll out a project, how do we do it on a small scale before we roll it out to everybody and find out, oh, there's this isn't working or there's problems there. So I think your green plate program is actually uh, in the pilot stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're learning on a small scale before you roll it out to everybody and find out that it doesn't work or that there's problems with it you have to go change all those things over. Um, so test it out and, and see if the results work then roll it out on a larger scale. So visual controls is another big piece of, of Lean. How do I make things stand out, problems appear? How do I make sure people know the size of the things they're ordering? How do I know that things are gonna expire with color codes? So this is a big problem we had in our manufacturing is chemicals would expire and we'd consume them still and it made the product more vulnerable. So we went to a monthly color code system that says if you see any purples in the floor, take them out because they're expired. So getting it to a very simple system. you know, collecting these bags up and, and, and actually getting people to see how much food is being wasted. And, and again, highlight the problem and make it visual. Portion controls with this. Uh, making the problem visible. And then this is like a visual control you guys have here, is it's pretty cool. Uh, but the idea is like, simplify it and make it so obvious it stands out and it's so easy to know when there's a problem and to minimize the chance of a problem. And then tracking before and after results, seeing if did it actually work or is it just? It feels like it might have worked, but we don't really have any data to prove it. And then, what do I monitor going forward to see if that problem gets worse in the future or continues to get better? So, what are the systems of dashboards we can set up to keep an eye on this going forward? And then, how are we doing? We're at 11:30. Okay, so there's one more video. It Just talks about lean in the environment. So. Again, a lot of what companies go down a path of Lean and Six Sigma is because they are looking at saving money in the long run. And if they do it to only save money, they won't get very far because everyone will catch on and they won't support it. So our passion is, I'm probably not gonna play it because we're out of time. But uh, what Kel and I are really passionate about is how do we focus organizations on the sustainability side of this, the people and the planet side of it. And you'll get the profits as an as a, as a add-on benefit, but if you go into it looking at it from a process and the people side of it, um, it takes a little longer, but you're gonna get the long-term buy-in and you're gonna see the long-term results of that. Versus if you go after looking to, to cut costs and save money, it's very shallow and it's not very motivating to work on. And so, me personally, it, it doesn't excite me to go in and save money, but to get people engaged and say, you know, I like coming to work, people are listening to my ideas, that's really powerful. And to see the, the impact on the environment that, that goes with that. So just my, my view on combining Lean and Six Sigma is, start with Lean because it's very uh, open and, and gets everybody engaged. And do some simple things with looking at their own work, taking out waste, and getting organized. There's a 5S activity that goes with it. Take an area to showcase and throw all your effort at that and then have everybody come in and say, look what we did in this area, can you replicate something similar? Then follow the systematic model and use these Kaizen events to move, make dramatic improvements over a short amount of time in the areas that, where you find these problems. Kel had shown you kind of those burst areas. Attack those and go after them and sometimes that's a full day we're gonna spend on it or a full week we're gonna f- spend on this problem, but at the end of the week, we're gonna actually have tangible results to show. So it's a lot of investment up front, but you get the quick wins. And then train, then get some of your employees trained on Six Sigma, some of the statistical tools, and then bring them in, and then attack some of the more complex problems with, with Six Sigma. So here's a couple resources. You've got the, the link there. Um, so I've been clicking up articles and, and things on how Lean and Six Sigma are applied to help environmental issues. That's the website there. Uh, Kel has uh, his website with information on his consulting. And then Lean PDX is our uh, volunteer group that is helping nonprofits uh, apply to me as well.
3: Another book, actually, I'd recommend to you guys is a book on lean farming uh, that was written by uh, a guy at a small farm here in, uh, in the US. And uh, it's it's really good. I've just been reading it, it really follows a lot of the lean. Um, Your principles and talking to your customers, understanding your customers. They have a CSI as well, and they provide menus and uh, things like that. It's a really, really good book.
0: I've got a couple books over there on the shelf there lean and environment type related
3: books,
2: too. What's
3: that book called? I think it's called Lean Farming. Ben Hartman, I believe, is the guy. I'll send the link out. When we send this link out, we'll we'll include the information on there as well. Um,
0: we also, on your on your desk there is a uh, plus deltas. So at the end of our, our Lean Portland meetings, we like to collect up opportunities for improvement. So what part did you like? What part could we have taken out or enhanced a little bit? Give us some feedback so we can continue to improve as well. So, um, You
3: don't need to put your name up and number
0: on it. Nope. So i to get the ideas, yeah. <laughs> And we we're talking uh, similar topic at the Go Green conference this year. Um, so you got some of the clean and green workshop part of it, but there's a culture aspect of this as well. Um, and exactly. we can't can't ignore the defects, when you see them now, uh, which I'm used to. So I get spelled misspelled all the time. So tell tell people if you like this if you like this topic, um, then it becomes a big part of it, and then Dell gets more detail onto the uh, employee engagement part that he talked about earlier, about the culture side of this, which is really the, the, the cool part of the This is our contact information, you have that. And there's links. Uh, we'll send out these links again so you have them, but you'll have them in the slides as well. So any questions or um, thoughts or comments, or other things you'd like to see, or other samples? You know? This
2: question came up for me earlier, as so I just started thinking about the efficiency and how places like such as Chipotle, where the customer walks up and specifies exactly what they want, then the burrito seems like it would be a lot less um, reduced waste than a traditional restaurant setting. So I, just
0: I eat everything I get at Chipotle, yeah. I <laughs> don't have to take things out. Yeah. Because, so um, the concept is, are you optimizing your work, or are you optimizing it for the customer? And a lot of times, like the burrito example, putting them in little containers ahead of time is quicker for the employee, but it's not. It's, it's What's best for the whole system? And sometimes we get sub-optimized, say, I can do this task faster, but if, the, if it hurts the overall system, then it's not really a good improvement. So that's the, we didn't really talk about that too much, but it's really about making the system work the best And sometimes that makes it, you actually have to do your work less efficiently. So the example I give is in our finance group, um, they make a a report and they put together a little summary table. And I said, can you make it like a pivot table where they could just drop down and select their name, their manager name, and then it pulls up just their data? Said, well, that'd take me like five more minutes to do it. It's like, but everybody, you send it to 30 managers and they're all doing that themselves. So look at the total time. It's an hour wasted for everybody, but you could do it in five extra minutes on your end. So it seems not lean to you to do it, but the whole system is better because of that extra time you took. So when people are talking about improvements, sometimes they get really siloed and they sub-optimize their own work at the expense of everybody else. So just keep that in mind as well. Anything else? Yeah.
2: I, my mind is still stuck on the grocery shopping example. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Because, and it ties into what you were just saying in that it feels like in some ways, if you identify one kind of waste, but it increases the effort. So in terms, I was thinking like the transportation around grocery shopping, yep. if I'm going every day and it takes me 10 minutes each way, that's 20 minutes yep. times seven or five times a week, a week versus the one time and I'm having a very hard time reconciling that. It really online.
3: depends on a lot of factors. First of all, you could walk or bike to the store, potentially. Good. Mm-hmm. That's an option. Um, another thing is that if you think about how often we pass a store when we're driving to different places, you could just do it on the way somewhere. So that's an opportunity. Um, another one is like how often do we end up having to run the store anywhere because we forgot something, or what didn't have something or ran out of something. So if, if those kind of come into it as well, which we often and tell ourselves that doesn't happen too often but it really happens a lot Uh, the other day is like how good are we at meal planning like often do we end up like throwing food away because we thought we were gonna eat four meals at home this week but then like friends invited us three nights out a week and we decided to go out and eat instead Uh, I mean I found myself that uh, we're using less energy because I have a very small fridge I'm using less space in the house so the house itself is smaller I mean, these are all things that add up, you know. So, uh, But, yeah, it is is—it is something you have to ask yourself. It depends, like, how much food you're buying and how often you're going and how far you have to drive and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How good you are at meal planning. Mm-hmm. So. so what we'll say
0: sometimes is just start chipping away at that. So if you're going once a week, and you go tr- start trying to go every three days and see how that works? And at some point you might say it's not, it doesn't make sense to go every day, but maybe a little bit more frequently does make sense maybe it's three times a week you end up doing that and so yeah at some point you may not get it to every every meal I go to the store and get a meal that doesn't seem right but once a month doesn't seem right either so somewhere in there there's a a good medium there and the idea is just to challenge can I do that less frequently smaller batches so that I have less left over and so going to the store once a week seems efficient for that one time you go but uh, you spend a lot of cash up front to do that and then um, is it really good in the long run? Do you actually have wasted food at the end and you basically just paid for something
3: to get thrown away?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that's part of that 40% number I
3: i also say that the opportunity that presented itself to me in doing this is that um, I optimize my ride to the store so that with my Prius and the hills and the way it works, I can drive there on the battery. Because <laughs> you did it more frequently to try out the process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think also, I think about that too,
2: and I think it also depends on your definition of Problem, right? So we're talking about it as a waste of food problem, but for you it started as a space problem with your fridge yeah. and your kitchen. Mm-hmm. So there's just, it kind of depends on what you're trying to get out of it also, and like the once week shopping maybe could be efficient if you are someone who meal plans properly and will make those meals and you will eat those meals, but if you're not, then maybe the frequent shopping is, more, uh, is a better solution for you. So. It's not necessarily that going to the store more often is going to be the best thing, but maybe depending on your problem that you're
3: to get out of it, it, could be. And another way to look at it, if you look at from the bigger picture, is if everybody is buying food five days ahead of time, there's so much more food that we have to have in the stores at any given time in the entire country. That does add up. Does that make sense?
1: No. <laughs>
3: to <laughs> it a degree, but
2: then there's also, like, natural flows of things that, like, you know, I don't know. Tomatoes are going to come into season at one time. <coughs> and we see all the problems of having like tomatoes on demand throughout the year. That I don't. So you're going to have natural fluctuations of how much some things are available
0: or not, and there'll be abundance and scarcity. Um, and so part of that is is it's all getting delivered in a batch, and mm-hmm. it's all showing up at once, and they. Grocery store has to account for all that with space and inventory to handle that. Can it be delivered more frequently, less smaller batches? So they don't need the size of the space and the warehouse space to take up because they can process it through more fast. And then so, again, it's kind of like looking at all the factors involved, what's the best thing for the system? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it seems like, well, this helps our part of it by doing it all at once, but the whole system suffers.
3: Go with a good way to another analogy, actually, outside of food, well, it's also food as well. But if you think about how, in this country especially, shopping is contained around two months of the year November and December. So much of our purchasing is done in just those two months. So many companies are literally just hanging on by their, by their fingernails for 10 months of the year just to get through November and December and make all their profits. That is so not lean. <laughs> It's the opposite thing and the reason we've done that is because we think that like people buying stuff above is going to help our economy in a really positive way but actually has a lot of really negative impacts and if instead we could teach everybody like well let's just everybody buy a gift on people's birthdays that'd be a great way of distrib- distributing all of that purchasing and distribution and storage and everything else way more evenly across the entire year which would help our economy in a big way as well even have these massive influxes and decreases so it's the same with food. If everybody's going to the store on the weekend and buying versus like it being more dispersed throughout the week, it reduces the amount of like square footage that the and the footprint that the store needs, how much food they need to carry at any given time, et cetera, et cetera.
2: But I think it's also about merchandising and like how we sort of expect <coughs> to have multiple choices, if not like tens of multiples of choices of the same thing. That's a great example yeah. of that. Why do yeah. we have fifty Rands in a store? Yeah, We're not brands, or not brands are just like versions the of shelf, the same thing and you
0: have three on right. the shelf right Yeah.
3: Brian I talk right. about this all the time you, I mean all that kind of comes back to competition within you know our. I mean now you're starting to get into our economic system the economic paradigm we have is not the it's geared to competition and having like you know 25 choices of, of cell phone which are being re-released every like 5 or 6 months with a new update which is ridiculous I mean iPhone 1 I was happy with that I'd be happy with that now don't need another one have a seven
1: later.
3: So I think I think part of this that's
0: challenging, like as <clears throat> what we do in, in our work is, we're an outside organization coming in trying to tell people how to do their business, and um, a lot of these changes seem like big, big changes. So how do we how do we you know get our foot in the door? Do you have mm-hmm. any thoughts on that? And how do you like help people see both the big changes and the small changes that they can. So the video we didn't show, sorry, is the Department of Ecology in Washington went into a business and said, we're not here to inspect, we're not here to audit, we're here to help, we're gonna connect you up with the right people. What we see, we're not gonna report to anybody, but we're just gonna help you look at your process and see if we can be assistance to you, help you identify the waste and come in. And basically, it was their success story that said, you know, they came in and were more of a coach and connected them to the right people to say, you have all this water waste going on uh, let us let me connect you with the, the group that could help you with this. They have a technology that can solve that. Or, uh, let me have you go take a tour of this other facility. They do it differently, and you might want to adopt that thing. So they became kind of this, we talked about that is the kind of just the conduit or the networker between the groups. And, and the business was successful. They got help from the county instead of it, oh, here they come, everybody make sure everything's labeled properly and hide all the, the problems so we don't get an audit finding or get fined. Instead, they became a partner to them, and that changed the dynamics quite a bit. So that's one thing, is, is, is to get more upfront with them, but you got to make that first contact and say, we're here to help, not to find what you're doing wrong.
3: Yeah, I, was, I always tell, I mean, I have this, obviously I deal with this every day because all my customers are people. I'm going into their business and helping them, you know, and I always say up front, like, I'm not here to tell you how to run your business. I don't know how to do what you do. You know that best. The people doing it know that best. Not Even the owner of the company or the CEO, who I usually end up talking to, but what I'm here to do is to help facilitate a kind of transformation in your culture to one that's lean so that everybody can get along so that you can do things even better than how you're doing them now, etc., etc. And then when I, I go on a gamble walk, I walk around and I point out all the opportunities that already exist. And there's always opportunities. And it's just like uh, Brian was saying earlier, when you become very uh, adept at lean, you see it everywhere. And it, it becomes somewhat of a curse. You know, it's like, oh my God, if we did it like this, it would be so much better. I um, the government for itself, is just like, uh. um, So, you know, when you go into these organizations and you can show them, like, well, this and this and this and this will lead to this, and often it's amazing, like, when you start being able to be good at, like, identifying the waste, you will tell them about things that they think is unique to their organization. They're like, well, how, how do you know we had that problem? It's like, well, because of this, and they're like, oh, wow, okay, and it's it's really just, People say oh, our organization is different, but it's just simply not true. Every organization has material flow, information flow, and cash flow, which means they all oh. are fitting within the same system that lean speaks towards. Yeah. Is that video link on this list? The, the last one? No, the one you were saying. Yeah, that's of?
0: the one we skipped. It's the Department of Ecology one. It's Acrofast. Oh, Acrofast. Yep, that's Thanks. the one. So that's, that's how they partnered with that company to help them. Uh, basically to implement lean concepts into it. Perfect, so, I know we're going up, we're over time here, but um, and if you want to eat me, but, uh,
1: if you have other questions, we'll be around. I think, are you gonna be around? Yeah. Okay, yep.